around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Good evening, friends. Pastor David Lankford here. We'd like to welcome each of you to this edition of the Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. Today is Tuesday, June the 15th, 2021. Summer is almost upon us, and we welcome you today, wherever that you might be, and I trust that God's grace is abounding within your heart and within your life in a very personal and a very special and intimate way. I got a great announcement beginning September the 30th through October the 3rd at Heritage USA, Fort Mill, South Carolina. We're going to be having our meeting. I'm titling these meetings, Revival in America. And we're just assembling together some great men of God who have a burden to win the lost, who have a burden to minister his word, the word of the Lord, and to move in the spirit of Christ that the church might be edified, wherein Christ might be glorified. It is our goal, it is our desire to win souls here in the end. Everything that we do at The Voice of Evangelism is about winning souls. When I personally watch other ministers and ministries, they share a lot of things that really don't help the maturity or the growth of Christians. Uh, it's almost some way it's like secular humanistic knowledge. But I want to be a man of God that flows in the spirit of God and share things that help you uh, to grow, to be established, to overcome the enemy, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So many people today are not strong, but hearing the word of God increases our faith, gives us strength to run the race and to finish the course. So put it on your calendar. Go to our website and register. The registration fee is only $75. For quite some time, we've had a dear brother, Jackson, who's been very gracious and helping to defray the cost and the expense, renting the building, honorariums for the speakers, their lodging, their motel bills, their eats, their expenses, and, of course, the audio and the video equipment that we need to put on these meetings. I'm believing God to use us and to touch us to help bring in a true spiritual awakening in America. I'm not looking for notoriety. I'm not looking to make a name. I simply want to minister the word of the Lord. I want God to touch your life. I want God to touch this nation. And I believe if we pray and we seek the Lord and we continue to walk before him in love and righteousness and holiness, he will move. That's not to say we're not going to have difficult times. We're facing some arduous and difficult times even now. And they will only get worse. I've been warning for months and months about inflation. And it could turn into hyperinflation and we could be like Venezuela. We just don't know. I believe God is allowing judgment, incremental judgments to come into this nation because people will not repent and neither will preachers preach repentance. So please put it on your calendar 
and go to our website and register. As I said, we've cut the registration fee down to $75 because Brother Jackson has been so gracious to help us and to defray the cost in having these revival meetings in America. Of course, I'll be there preaching the Word of God. Brother Russ Dizdar, Brother Jimmy D. Smith, Brother Paul Jacobs, someone that you've not heard, but he will minister mightily to you, and you'll be encouraged through his ministry and the preaching of the Word of God. And if we have another uh, speaker yet to be uh, put in this group, and we're looking for God to direct us who that other person might be. But please go to our website and register. The building will only accommodate 500 people, so that limits us to how many can come. Hopefully next year in the spring we'll be back at Hickory, North Carolina, where it's a larger building. Uh, But North Carolina uh, uh, was still holding on to the mask mandates. People were phoning, calling, emailing, asking us when could we put on a meeting. And so we went to South Carolina because their governor removed the mask mandates more quickly. That's why we're in South Carolina, Fort Mill to be exact, Fort Mill, South Carolina. This is the old Jim Baker uh, place. Uh, Rick Joyner has taken over, uh, reestablished the ministry there, uh, completely redone the motel and everything. Uh, You'll find it a great venue, and uh, we're going to have gospel singing. My wife, uh, some of the other ladies will be singing and ministering in song and music. It's just a time of old-fashioned, Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled worship. That's what this is about. And if you want to get into the presence of God, I promise you, if you'll come, the Holy Spirit of God will touch your heart and touch your life in a very, very, very special way. So put that on your calendar and go to our website and register. Because like I said, we're limited to just 500 seats. But I believe if you'll come, I believe the Spirit of God will bless your heart and life immensely. Again, those dates are September the 30th. That's a Thursday. That's the evening of registration and all of those things. Then we begin Friday morning at 9 a.m. I'll be opening it up. I'll also be preaching Sunday morning. We'll be have communion. And uh, I'm going to dedicate my daughter's two little girls. Uh, the one's not even born yet, but she's going to bring both of them. And I'm going to dedicate those to the Lord. And if... Uh, You come, I hope you can come and be a part of this great move of God. Before we get back into Romans chapter 5, verse 5 today, I want to play an old gospel hymn entitled, Just a Little Talk with Jesus by the Kingdom Heirs. If we'll spend more time talking with Christ, we'll be more strengthened and edified for the days that are coming. Oh, it made my 
Yes, a little talk with Jesus Today. also always makes it right. Aren't you glad for that? Always makes it right if we'll take the time to pray. I've learned a long time ago, prayer may not immediately change my circumstance or my situation, but prayer does change me. And truthfully, I'm the one that needs to be changed. We want to go back today, Romans chapter 5. We want to pick up in verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Those who put their hope in Christ will never be ashamed. You'll never be embarrassed. You'll never be disappointed in putting your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the hope that now abides within us gives place for the work of Christ that was accomplished on the cross, and that work is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You know, the great thing about the Holy Spirit, he's always moving in the Christian's life. The believer's life is always affected by the Holy Spirit. Now, the greater the effect is based upon your ability, your willingness to walk in the Spirit. So many people today talk the talk, but sometimes they fail to walk the walk. Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And when we walk in the Holy Spirit of God, we are comforted, He guides us, He directs us, He reveals things to us. He soothes the troubled heart. He gives rest he certainly gives guidance and direction, but we must focus on him that we may be able to walk in the Spirit of God. You know, walking in the Spirit is a choice. You can walk in the flesh or you can walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the flesh, you'll produce death, ruin, and destruction in your life. If you walk in the Spirit, you will bring edification you will bring encouragement. You will bring empowerment into your life if you walk in the Spirit. Romans 8, 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Their thoughts are on the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You are never able to please God if you walk in your flesh. When you walk in your flesh, you bring harm. You bring ruin into your personal life. Remember, they that are after, those that walk after the flesh do mind or they dwell, or they think about nothing but carnal things. 
another husband, another wife, another this, another that. That's not how we're to walk. We're to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit of God. And the more you walk in the Spirit of God, the more you sense the love of God and the hope of God being shed abroad in our hearts. And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The finished work of Christ that he accomplished on the cross assures me in my heart that Christ has saved me, Christ has forgiven me, and Christ has justified me. I have that peace, that peace, the justification that is wrought through Jesus Christ, as I said yesterday, brings peace into my heart with God the Father. You see, there was a hostility there. There was an animosity there. There was a brokenness there. But Jesus brings that together. He makes the bridge. He, he creates the, 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 the bridge to cross us from death unto eternal life. On this side of the chasm, you have death. On this side of the chasm, you have life. Christ Jesus, through what he did on the cross, brings us from the side of death to the side of everlasting life. The Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts the love Christ has for us and how he paid our debt of sin while he hung on the cross. Remember the words of Jesus in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for his friends. Are you the friend of God? There's no greater love. Notice what he said. Greater love hath no man than this. Remember, Christ became a man. As a man, he gave the greatest measure of love as a man that could possibly be given. And the Father loved us so much that he gave his only begotten Son. So both the Father and the Son gave. The Father uh, gave the Son, which is a spiritual gift. But Jesus took on humanity, and he gave himself why? Because in his humanity, he loved people beyond measure. And what makes that real is the Holy Ghost moving in our hearts, and we become aware, God does love me. God has saved me. God has forgiven me. God has justified me. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have now become passed away, and all things are now new in my life. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great that, that God has done that in us? Why did he do that in us? Because he loved us. He cares about us. He wants us to be free. He wants us to experience this great love. You know, John that wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John was, was a man of love. He, he, he spoke so much 
in all of his writings about the love of God because he wasn't just talking about it. He himself was experiencing it, see? And you and I have the privilege, it is a privilege to experience this same love. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because the world knoweth him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. I want to back up there to verse 1. Behold what manner, what great magnitude, what magnificence of God's love he hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You know, uh, Donald Trump has three sons, uh, Donald Jr., Eric, and uh, his name slips my mind now, the, the, the young one, the, the, the child, the, the teenager, Baron, Baron Trump. People probably look at those young men and uh, drool because they are sons of Trump. We're sons of God. We are sons of God. We are daughters of God. And he brought us in. When you study Romans 8, verse 15, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You see, we are adopted. We are brought in. But see, adoption, remember this about adoption. When any child is legally adopted, that legally adopted child now has all the same rights as a biological child. No less. No less. They get the same blessings. They get the same rewards. They even get the same inheritance. We have been grafted in, and we get the same eternal inheritance of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. Now, the shedding abroad of his love through the Holy Spirit within our hearts is an assurance, or it is a down payment of a promise resurrected eternal life with a glorified and an immortal body. See, when the Holy Spirit is in your heart, that is a down payment assuring you if you continue and you remain in Christ at the end of your days or if the Lord should come before we die, then that means that Holy Spirit living in us is an assurance. It is a down payment. It is a deposit. It is a deposit of the certainty of the eternal inheritance for the believer. You know, this is why we receive the Spirit of God. When anyone becomes born again, they don't get a certificate. They don't get a plaque or an award or something that says, hey, see here, this proves you're saved. You're saved by your faith and what Jesus did on the cross. And I know that my faith has brought me into a relationship with him because I believe he paid my debt. And I believe now I am justified. To be justified means to be free. It means to receive an acquittal. You were wicked, you were vile, you were sinful, but now you're free. 
You're justified, you're holy, and you're innocent. Innocent? We, human, flawed creatures, are innocent when Christ died on the cross and paid our debt. When the Father looks at you and I, he sees us through the work that Jesus did. See, because he sees Christ and what he did, we are covered. That, that shedding abroad, it covers us, it protects us. And the Father sees us as justified as though we had never sinned. You know, one of the great things that, that both sinners and redeemed don't understand, sinners are more lost than they realize they are. I said sinners are more lost than they realize they are. And the redeemed are more saved than they realize they are. Listen, if you've put your faith in what Jesus did, you are saved and nobody can take that away from you. Now, there'll be religious people come along and say things like, well, you didn't do this, so you're still not saved. Or you didn't do that, you're still not saved. No, that is not true. That is absolutely not true. Cornelius, I shared that some weeks ago, Cornelius was saved because he obviously believed in the message of John the Baptist, and it was a message of repentance. Yet they'll tell you, no, he wasn't saved, but he was saved. The group of Ephesians in Acts chapter 19, they were saved. Why were they saved? They believed in John's baptism, but they had never even heard whether there was any Holy Ghost or not. Look at the life of Apollos. Apollos was teaching and preaching the word of God. But Aquila and Priscilla brought him in. The Bible said Apollos was eloquent in, in, in scriptures, eloquent in scriptures. But they taught him the more perfect way, meaning they brought him into a greater, a greater revelation and understanding, specifically the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I know you've heard a lot of things said, a lot of things done, but a lot of things are not right. They're not scripturally correct. They're not truly sound doctrine. Now, because we are justified by faith and faith alone, without a doubt, we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our souls are secure in what he did and not in anything we've ever done or might ever do. Don't, I, I, I know you probably get tired of hearing me say this. Don't ever believe that you've ever had any part in your salvation. Don't ever think that. That's vain, worthless thinking. Well, I did this, I, I did that. That's what the Pharisees said. I fast, I tithe, I do. They, they, they gave a litany of things that they did. Folks, it's what Jesus did. You know, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, if at all possible, let this cup pass from me. He was looking for another way. He was petitioning the Father for another method, another means. But the Father said, no. And Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus, if there was another way he petitioned the Father, the Father would have provided that other way. But there was no other way. You see, we could say in all honesty, this is complicated 
And I, I understand why people would make that statement. It is complicated. It is far-reaching. It is so far-reaching, you have to do all this by faith. I said you have to receive by faith. You have to believe, which is faith. You get saved by faith. You get baptized in the Holy Ghost by faith. Everything you do is based on faith, not of works, not of keeping the law, none of those things. It is so superior to human reasoning and human thinking that it begs description. I'm not able to convey to you the breadth and the height and the depth of redemption through justification in what Jesus did. And it hurts me in my heart when denominations and people come along and they think somehow they're doing something to save themselves. There's no such thing as self-justification. You can't justify yourself. They say the ends justifies the means. Jesus was the means. The cross was the method. No man has any part in that whatsoever. None. And that's why I preached there were two sides to the cross. There was the Abrahamic, Mosaic side that believed Jesus would come. He would be nailed to a cross. He would die for our sins buried and would rise again the third day. You and I live on the other side of the cross. We're looking back. They looked forward. But we both, from the front and from the back, we look to the middle what Christ would do, not what men would do, what Christ would do. As believers, you and I look back to the cross. Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross he did die for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. So you have both people on both sides of the cross, see? And, 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 and both of us on both sides have to believe the same thing, justified by faith. You know, when you read uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and I'm paraphrasing here, Paul said their faith was not properly mixed with the word of God when they heard it. And so when they heard the word of God and their faith was not properly mixed with God's word, they lacked the ability then to go into the kingdom of God or enter into the promised land, which was a type and a, a figure and a, a shadow of what was to come. Let me turn there quickly, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, people say, I'm keeping the Sabbath. That's not your rest. Your rest is in Jesus. See, again, that's a type of works. That was a, that was a type of work keeping the Sabbath, and it was arduous. You remember the, the old boy that was stoned to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath? Well, I, I don't want to live under that arduous, difficult law. Verse 2, Hebrews 4, verse 2, For unto us was the gospels preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You see, their faith was not properly mixed with the Word of God. When your faith is right relative to the Word of God, that saves you. That's it. That's it. 
Again, there will be those who say, well, now, wait a minute. You know, you, I'm not so sure about that. My Bible tells me what I must do right here. I got to have faith and the gospel. What's the, what is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Israel fundamentally heard the same message. But Paul said because their faith did not profit them, the word did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. Faith, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've got to hear the word and then apply that word to your heart and that's the act of faith. You hear the word that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died and paid our sin debt. He paid it. By faith, I believe that. By faith, I am justified. Not what I do, what he does. And now because I am saved, I do pray. I do fast. I do tithe. I do give. I do communion. I have been water baptized. I've done all of these things. Why? Because I am saved. But they don't save me. That's works. Sadly, people have been misled into believing their works somehow save them, which no work, no human work, no human deeds save anyone. Now, verse 6 here in Romans chapter 5. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Now, now just what does that mean? We have no wherewithal. We have no hope within ourselves to redeem ourselves. Let, 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 let me read that again. Verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, no man has ever been in a, in a position to save himself. And the people on the other side of the cross had faith in the coming Messiah. And that faith in the coming Redeemer is what saved them. He would justify them just like we're justified, yet we live on the other side of the cross. Hope this is making sense. That's why it says in due time. In due time, Christ died. In other words, Christ would be coming. Christ would come for people like Abraham, even Adam and Eve. He would come. In the future, thus Paul said, none of us at any point, at any time in our lives had any ability to save ourselves. That's why we had no hope. That's why we had no strength. There was nothing that we could do in redeeming ourselves. Man, regrettably, is incompetent. Man is powerless. He's without strength to deliver himself from sin and Satan. Don't you think the devil doesn't want to put you into some kind of spiritual captivity and hold you there, and you don't have the strength to get out? But through Jesus Christ, we can be set free. This is why God, Elohim, gave his only begotten son to redeem fallen men. And again, in due time, meaning 
somewhere down the road, Messiah was coming. Now, and, and, and if, if you understand the context here, of course, when Paul's writing this epistle to the church at Rome, Christ has already died. He's already been crucified. He's already been raised from the dead. He's already ascended back to the Father. But Paul is talking here to Jews. Remember, the gospel is preached to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. So he's talking to Jews. They knew the law. They embraced the law. They lived under the law. But he was wanting them to understand, in due time, it was prophesied Christ would come. And Christ alone would pay sin's debt. Now, when was that due time? You know, you have a due date. Uh, pay this bill by this date. That's a due date. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And see, there you have it, the law, the law, the law, the law. And the law cannot save, the law cannot redeem, the law cannot forgive. But when the fullness of time, so in due time, when it was come, God sent forth his son, made born of a woman, made born under the law, to do what? to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I just shared that a few minutes ago about the adoption factor. Once you've been legally adopted in a court of law, that adopted child has all the same rights as the biological child. See? The due time was the appointed time when Christ Jesus would be born. That was the due time. That was the appointed time. So Paul is trying to convey to those Jewish people that were trying to keep the law, live under the auspices of the law, he's telling them in due time Christ did come and pay sin's debt like the Father promised he would. Verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. Now, what does all that mean? That's that's a little bit that's a little bit tough. I understand that. With great difficulty, and with much effort, for even a righteous man, would anybody give their life for that person? You know, it's like you and I in the natural looking at someone. And they're standing before a firing squad, gas chamber, electrocution, whatever the case might be. But you know in your heart that is a righteous, godly person, and you're going to step in and say, no, don't take their life, take my life. Scarcely. There'll be a thousand people watching this execution, and one person jumps up out of the thousand and says, I'll, I'll, I'll take his place. Paul said, you're going to have a difficult time finding somebody to give their life for somebody else. A good man, Paul said, some might consider dying for that good man. Some might consider taking his place. But let's just look at it this way. Let's say it was me at, before the firing squad, the executioner. And I'm the rank, rancy, rancid 
sinful, degraded man I was before I came back to the Lord. No good. You think anybody wants to die for me? Well, he's, he drinks. He dopes. He's, he's, he's a wordling. He, he corrals around at night. He just does all sorts of filthy, immoral stuff. Nobody out of that thousand going to raise their hand and say, I'll, I'll take his place. No, he, he deservingly needs to be shot. <laughs> if I was in that situation as a backslider and a sinner and somebody stood up and said, I'll take his place, I'd probably say, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not worth you taking my place. Scarcely, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. In other words, if it's a godly righteous man, somebody might consider it. But for a wicked man, yet Jesus was that man who took the place for all of us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, For he hath made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In him, Jesus became what I was. Why? That I might be redeemed, that I might be set free, that I might be let go. I'll take his place. I'll die for him. Some would say, that's a wicked, worthless human being. Jesus died for both all good men, but all were lost. Maybe that was a good man. He he uh, was benevolent, and he helped orphans, and he helped widows, but he still wasn't saved. A good man that's not born again is just as lost as a sinner man because he is a sinner. I said he is a sinner. If he's not born again, he's a sinner. Well, he does good stuff. He does this. He does that. I don't care what he does. He's still lost. And, you know, people get confused today. Uh, I'm not going to call any names any organizations, but they believe we do a lot of good works. We do a lot of good things. You know, at St. Jude, we do all of this and we do all of that. I don't care what you do. That, that does not save you. That does not redeem you. You see, every man, he may be a good person. He may be benevolent. He may help widows. He may help orphans. <clears throat> but if he's not born again, he's still just as lost as the adulterer or the sodomite or the drunkard or the fornicator. He's just as lost as they are. He just doesn't know it because he says, see, I do good stuff. That does not save anyone. I've done good stuff. That still does not save anyone. You see, we all were hostage to sin and death. But Jesus paid our ransom so that we might go free. Jesus described his life as a ransom to buy and redeem us back. Let them go take me instead. That's what he said. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Why many? Because not everyone will accept the ransom he paid. And the ransom was his life. See, my life for David Lankford's life. My life for, for, for Patrick Cusack's life. My life for, for, for uh, whoever. Whoever it might be. Tom Watkins, I give my life for his life. Bill Jackson, I give my life for his life. 
I, David Langford, can give my life for any man's life. That won't save them. I'm not a redeemer. I'm not a savior. I am not a ransom. I'm not a ransom for anyone's life. My life can't pay nothing for sin's debt. You know, I could say, well, I'll, I'll give my life for Neil Coke. I'll, I'll give my life for him. And, and the Lord would say, you're just as bad off as he is. There's no ransom. There's nothing there that's redeemable in you. I want to redeem the men. I want to redeem the women. But you can't redeem them. It's going to take my son, Jesus Christ, and die for their sins to redeem them. You see, this is the revelation. Now, Jesus says that, uses the word ransom in Mark 10, 45. Paul uses the same word in 1 Timothy 2, 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You see, now in due time, I can testify as a believer justified in the work of Christ. Christ was the ransom. He paid my sin's debt. And now in due time, I'm able to testify just like all the others who've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone, everyone who has been justified have been justified because the ransom was paid for by Jesus Christ to bring them back to the Father, to redeem us back to him. I, you know, the older I get, you know, I thank God at 66 years of age, I can still learn. I thank God at 66 years of age, I can still comprehend. You know, the word ransom uh, in the Greek, the Greek word is lutron, L-U-T-R-O-N. It, it sounds like a, a, a space name, you know, uh, Thor or Zeus or whatever. Lutron, lutron, what does it mean? It's a price paid for redeeming captives, loosening them from the bonds, from their bonds and setting them at liberty. Jesus made full atonement for every sinner. All they have to do is believe and receive. They don't have to do anything. I'm telling you, religion is such a dangerous thing. You know, and you hear me talk about this so much because it's, 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 it's a portrait of what took place June the 6th, 1978, when I came back to the Lord. I got on my knees at my grandmother and my granddad's house, and I prayed through. I was saved. I knew I was saved because when I got up from my knees, I had peace with God. Before I got on my knees, I didn't have that peace. I didn't have that tranquility. I did not have that placidity in my life. You know why? I was a sinner. I was backslidden. I was away from God. I was away from God. Got on my knees, asked God to forgive me of my sins. When I got up, I got up justified as though I had never sinned in my life. How is that possible? Only by what Jesus did on the cross. And it disturbs me when people in, in pure hearts get on their knees and pray Ask God to come into their lives, and some religious person comes along and says, well, you're still not saved yet. 
You're the deceived one, not the person that got on their knees and asked God for forgiveness. They're not deceived. You're deceived because you're espousing works and religion and denominationalism. You're the one that's lost, friend. You're the one that doesn't know God. You're as lost as that person was before they got saved, but you think you're saved because of what you did. You've been told if you do this, you're going to get saved. You do that, you're going to get saved. You get saved because the Spirit of God has led you to repentance. Sitting in that bar that night, drinking liquor, terrible, terrible, terrible. The Holy Ghost smote my heart. You, you got to get this right or I'll never deal with you again. I'm telling you that it was the Holy Ghost that smote my heart, convicted my soul. I got on my knees and I asked God forgiveness and I was justified, absolutely, completely, totally justified when I got up from my knees. I didn't get the Holy Ghost till the next day. I didn't get water baptized till six or eight months later. And you're going to try to tell me I still was not saved? You're the deceived one. I quit everything. You've heard me say it. I had a little problem with my language. Still know all the words to this day. I just don't use them, but I know them because God didn't brainwash me when he saved me. I still, I can do what I want to do. I'm an adult male. Getting back to my point at 66 years of age, I'm still able to grow in grace and in knowledge. You know, it's a terrible thing when men cease to grow. Yeah, I talked to Jimmy D on the phone the other night, and I was sharing him with this series I'm teaching. He said, man, will you send me those notes? He said, you got this. It's in your heart. I hear it coming out of your heart. I said, I said, there are 59 pages worth of notes. He said, send them. I want them, and I'll give you all the attribution. I said, I don't need any attribution. This is the work of God. I just want people to know what Jesus does for us. You see, if you could do anything to save yourself, what was the purpose in Jesus dying? When you, when, you, when you cut through all the garbage and the rhetorical jargon, why then did Jesus die and suffer such a heinous death and yet you somehow still play a role in your salvation? That's deception. That's the worst kind of deception because it is religious deception. I told, I told Jimmy D on the phone. I said, isn't it amazing the apostle Peter prophesies Acts 2.17, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. All means all flesh. Yet in Acts chapter 10, eight chapters later, when the Holy Ghost is dealing with Peter about Gentiles being saved, God gave him a vision, and the vision was three times, repeated over, three times. Why? Peter did not believe Gentiles could be saved, born again, washed in the blood, and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yet it was the apostle Peter who prophesied God would pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. He's the guy that said it. Yet when it came time to happen, he said, it can't happen. You know why? He was still dealing in his personal life with the law and legalism. And he, he somehow believed the Gentiles could not be saved. And so God had to reprogram him. Let me tell you, you can be saved, born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and have things wrong in your life, but you don't live a life of sin. 
You don't curse. You don't swear. You don't drink. You don't watch pornography. You live a godly life, but you still don't have it all right. There's still things that you miss. You know, there are things I miss, but I promise you, I don't miss them because I'm ignorant or don't want to know. I miss them because of my humanity. See, that's, that's, that, that's that problem, that flesh. See, that, that's why there in, uh, in Acts, uh, is it 13, Paul, uh, Peter was rehearsing everything that God had done. See, I should say it was Acts chapter 11, verse 1. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And Peter was coming to Jerusalem. They that were of the circumcision contended with him. And what did they say? You went in to men uncircumcised. See, these men, they were brethren. They were believers in Jesus Christ, but they were still attached to the Mosaic law. You got to be circumcised, Peter. You can't even eat with these people. This is what religion does. There are people who don't fellowship with me because I'm not a part of their denomination or their organization. I, I don't care to be a part of that because my name is in the book of life and I'm in the kingdom of God. So to be in your denomination, to be in your organization, that don't mean jack to me. It don't mean nothing to me because I'm in what counts. I said I'm in what counts, and that's the kingdom of God. So after Acts 10, and Cornelius and his whole household and friends and neighbors receive the Holy Ghost, he goes back to Jerusalem. He rehearses everything that's taken place, and these certain brethren, which were Judaizers, said, Peter, you, you can't even eat with these people. Peter had to rehearse all of it again. And then that's why we had the great council meeting in Acts chapter 15 about who could be saved and not saved. And see, there are always those who are going to be purveyors of their religion and of their denomination and not the word of God. Now, they'll tell you, oh, but we're in the word. We're in the word. No, you're not. You're in the word only for your own purpose. You take the word, you twist the word, and you make it say something that it doesn't say. You, you, you try to build a doctrine on, on, a, on a, a, a quarter of a Bible verse. You, Paul said, I declared unto you the whole counsel of God. I didn't, I didn't withhold anything. And I'm a stickler. You know how I am. You got to reconcile these Bible verses. You got to reconcile them. You got to reconcile them. How are all these people saved under John the Baptist's message of repentance and water baptism? They, 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 they were not baptized in Jesus' name. John the Baptist. Paul said, whose baptism were you baptized unto? John the Baptist. See, that was about identification. Paul, intellectualist, trying to figure out who and how did you get to where you are? You're a believer, but you don't have everything right. Have you got the Holy Ghost, he said? They said, we haven't heard whether there be any Holy Ghost or not. He says, okay, let me think about this. Who were you baptized unto? He said, John the, they said, John the Baptist. He said, oh, I'm getting it now. You're believers because you've been water baptized 
through John the Baptist, so you're identified with the message of repentance, but you know nothing about the message of Pentecost. Yeah, Paul, you're right. Now Paul began to articulate, and they too received the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You know, I, I, I was sharing with, with Jimmy, I said, as I grow older and I, and I keep reading the Bible, you might say, in a sense, Paul had issues and Peter had issues. We all got issues. We, we all got things we struggle with. But when you become transparent and you align yourself with the Bible, the Word of God, you'll soon find this is wrong in your denomination. That's wrong in your denomination. That's wrong in their interpretation. That's wrong in what they're pushing and, and purveyors of. You soon realize, wait a minute, this stuff is wrong. But if you stay in your little capsule of organized religion, you'll never see the greater things of God. You never will. Because, hallelujah, the church of God is right to the Lamb. I look back, you know, singing that song when receiving members into the church, I'm like, how pompous and pride and arrogant is that? In other words, we're the only ones that's got the truth. I've had men to tell me their denominations were the only ones that had the truth. That, 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 that is so crazy. That, that is so bigoted and self-righteous. You're, you're no better than the Pharisees of Jesus' day. You're not a bit better than they are. Matter of fact, you're in worse shape than they are because they didn't have the, the Pauline epistles to help us to grow out of this religion and grow in the grace and in the knowledge of who? Jesus. We're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. Not a religion, not a denomination, not an organization. But in Jesus, Jesus is bigger than your denomination. Jesus is bigger than your church. Jesus is bigger than all of it. Why? Because he's God. But we get in this little capsule. We, we, we get into this little cocoon. And this is it. And there's, that's it. That's just it. That's not true. 66 years of age, I'm growing and learning just like I did at 25 years of age. Still digging, still seeking, still finding things. And the more I find, the more I realize, the greater my understanding and the greater my spiritual liberty. I, I don't worry about backsliding. I don't live like that. I'm justified. Hallelujah. I'm justified. Now, that doesn't mean I, I, I cannot sin. I can sin, but I don't want to sin. No, I, I, I want to, I want to get closer to God. I want to know more about God. I love Him. I've come to understand His love toward me is unconditional. When He said, "I'll never leave you," some of you need to believe that He'll never leave you. Just because you don't feel anything right now doesn't mean He's left you. You see, we're the ones that leave God. God said, "I'll never leave you." Don't you ever think God will abandon you and forsake you? It's we who forsake the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're getting something out of this. I hope you're going to grow mightily in grace and in knowledge. Remember, September the 30th through October the 3rd, Heritage USA, Fort Mill, South Carolina. Myself, Russ Dizdar, Jimmy D. Smith, Paul Jacobs, and we'll have yet another speaker combined with that. Please go to our website and register. 
Register as quickly as you can. Seating is limited to 500 people. Once that number is hit, we'll have to cut it off uh, because fire marshals will not let us have any more in that building. That's the size of that building. The reason we're in South Carolina is because the governor removed the mask mandate so much quicker than here in North Carolina. God bless you. Please go to our website and register and come and be a part of a great freshet and flood and baptism in the Holy Spirit of Christ our God. I'll see you Monday in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.